0: if you are a person of extremes emotions moods behaviors addictions obsessions all or nothing thinking this podcast is for you we're going to get deep into healing from behavior patterns that disconnect us from our true selves welcome to the middle cath where we are healing from extremes and finding self-worth self-love self-compassion and forgiveness we are finding the middle path to a balanced life. I am your host, Kathy. I got into reading horror in middle school. R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike led to Stephen King. I believe the precursor to it all was the book More Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark by Alvin Schwartz. I read it many times in childhood, It was published in 1984 and according to Wikipedia, the series is listed by the American Library Association as being the most challenged series of books from the 1990s and seventh most challenged from the 2000s. It again made the list in 2012. Complaints have typically centered on its violence, disturbing subject matter and potential unsuitability for younger readers as well as religious concerns. Critics have called the stories, many of which feature macabre topics such as murder, disfigurement, and cannibalism, sick, repulsive, and really disgusting, not appropriate for children. The nightmarish artwork by Stephen Gammel has also been a subject of criticism. I loved the spooky, distorted, sometimes disgusting illustrations. The stories reminded me of the Twilight Zone reruns from the 1960s, which often had a lesson like a fable. One story that stands out is called The Bed by the Window. It is set in a nursing home in which two men, Richard and George, shared a room. George had the bed by the window and Richard loved listening to George recount amazing stories of the beautiful sights he could see out of it. Richard grew increasingly jealous of George and eager to see it all for himself. He kills George and finally gets the bed by the window. When he gets to look out the window, he finds nothing but a brick wall. The wonderful stories George told were all a product of his incredible imagination. Karmically, Richard was left alone with neither a view nor imaginative stories to distract him from his misery. It's a great story about narcissism because Richard's choice to kill his roommate just to get his bed with a view is nothing if not an incredibly self-absorbed thing to do. It's a great representation of the relationship between a self-absorbed person and the person supplying them. Words that resonate for me in describing narcissists are emotional vampire and Dementor, the creatures from the Harry Potter series. From harrypotter.fandom.com, Dementors are one of the foulest of the dark creatures to inhabit the wizarding world. Dementors literally fed on human happiness and thus generated feelings of depression and despair in any person in close proximity to them. They could also consume a person's soul, leaving their victims in a permanent vegetative state. The people they left soulless were deemed to have been turned into an empty shell Victims of narcissistic abuse by parents, partners, or managers can also be drained of their happiness, used up and discarded, and left an empty shell of their former selves. The family roles of golden child, scapegoat, and lost child separate us from our true selves, replacing our real selves and personalities with roles imposed by the self-absorbed. Vampires, dementors, and the self-absorbed destroy their supply to survive. The self-absorbed extract supply for power, esteem, and dominance. The esteem addiction, like all addictions, knows no limits. It's never enough. I think of the Paramhansa Yogananda quote, ever fed, never satisfied, never fed, ever satisfied. An important part of addiction is the diminishing effect over time and ever-increasing tolerance. Per WebMD, tolerance means needing a higher dose to get the same results. With alcohol, for example, you may need more drinks more often for the same effect. My sugar addiction led me to abstaining in public, but after a long day, finding myself giving in at night to eating sugar straight, spoonful after spoonful in private. Like sugar and alcohol, esteem addicts develop a tolerance for supply sources, which is why eventual discarding is nearly inevitable. No one person is enough to fill the esteem deficit inside them. The self-absorbed blame their codependent supply sources for this, telling the codependent that they're not good enough, not smart, attractive, or interesting enough. The self-absorbed need many supply sources to mitigate the risk of losing one. The irony is many self-absorbed people claim to be highly independent. They project their own desperate need for attention onto their supply sources. They shame the people supplying them for needing any attention at all because the self-absorbed can't shift focus from themselves. With the self-absorbed, I have learned that every accusation is a veiled confession. For them, negative attention is better than none at all, which contributes to their trolling and bullying behaviors. This is why it's important to not react, not display anger or disgust for them, because it gives them the attention and negative supply they crave. Gray-rocking means being low-affect and giving one-word responses like, huh, instead of engaging with them. The trickiest part about narcissism is that it exists in every human. It's tempting to put narcissism, which is widely condemned, over there with Donald Trump, the Kardashians, and all the overt narcissists who are easy to spot. Meanwhile, we get to excuse ourselves from examining our own self-absorption, and all the self-hating, often introverted, covert narcissists can fly under the radar their esteem addiction unseen. We all have narcissistic traits or tendencies. As with any addiction, two substances, sex, gambling, work, exercise, anything, we are all vulnerable to the narcissistic addiction to esteem because we are human. The bed by the window reveals the danger of the intense jealousy of the self-absorbed. Jealousy is central to narcissistic family dynamics and I have found that compliments from the self-absorbed are often just an expression of jealousy. Jealousy is both a compliment and high praise from them because they'd like to believe everyone is jealous of them too. In his YouTube video, The Role of Envy in Narcissistic Abuse. Psychotherapist Jay Reed quotes psychoanalyst Carl Abram, who said, Envy is a hostile feeling against the other person associated with the impulse to deprive him of what he possesses. Receiving a feeling of jealousy is threatening because it comes with a sense that they not only wish they had what you have, they also wish you didn't have it. Jealousy can bring with it a sense of wishing someone ill, hoping that they fail, and anticipating the satisfaction of schadenfreude, the pleasure in watching someone fail, because misery loves company. Per Wikipedia, the 19th century German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer mentioned schadenfreude as the most evil sin of human feeling, famously saying, to feel envy is human, to savor schadenfreude, is diabolic. Schadenfreude may be diabolic, but because it is inherently narcissistic, it's actually very human, too. Former child actor Jeanette McCurdy's book I'm Glad My Mom Died struck a chord. Both being a celebrity as a child actor and being the golden child share a quality of unrealness. Both roles attract intense jealousy, and demand gratitude from the child for the privilege. This is despite the fact that both are actually a tremendous burden and neither has anything to do with the real person underneath. In neither case is it the child's decision, it's the parent's decision. The child is an object, a trophy. And as with all pedestals, these are no honor. The jealousy both roles attract can add insult to injury as outsiders see only the advantages, the attention, approval, and praise that golden children and child actors receive for submitting to their assigned roles. In my experience, the golden child, like the child actor, fakes happy, performs, succeeds, and sells it all so well, who wouldn't want the attention and approval they seem to get? But the reality is as different as your real life from your social media profiles. Yes, it is in many ways much easier to be forced to succeed as a golden child than to be prevented from succeeding like a scapegoat. But actually, it's often the scapegoat who sees the truth and awakens to the dysfunction first, It can be the scapegoat who has the greatest potential for self differentiation and freedom from the fantastical nightmare that is narcissistic reality. My sense is many golden children never change and they die golden children long after their own parents are dead. Maybe they're the child who ends up being the most self-absorbed, increasing the likelihood that they will never awaken to their reality. Either way, When love is earned with achievement, it is very hard to stop an addiction to overachieving and the esteem that comes with success and winning. If you feel at your core unseen, unknown, and unlovable, the solution can be to find both a sense of identity and feeling of love from achievement. Of course, this is not a real or long-term solution, Because self-love doesn't come from external approval and praise. It comes from within. It's not earned, and it can't be lost. My younger self from 2019 was so destroyed by low self-worth that she would be astonished to hear what I'm about to say. I now believe that self-love while at times can feel elusive, is, even then, unconditional. I also believe self-love and the survival instinct are linked. Part of us never disconnects from love, no matter how self-hating, worthless, and suicidal we might feel. We might feel disconnected from it, but I believe there's a connection between love and our innermost or highest self, our soul, or our light. That part is love and can't be disconnected no matter the suffering we are experiencing. Every person is a mosaic, and while there are plenty of people who aren't on my wavelength and who I don't need to interact with personally, I do believe everyone contributes something from this part of their highest self, their soul, or their light. You can hear the story, The Bed by the Window, in its entirety, on the YouTube channel Retro Read Along. It is only two minutes and 20 seconds long and includes a picture of the book's illustrations. What's your favorite story about jealous action and instant karma? Tell me at AskMiddleCath at gmail.com. Join me for the next episode of The Middle Cath, where we are healing from extremes and finding self-worth, self-love, self-compassion, and forgiveness. We are finding the middle path to a balanced life. Do you have a question that you'd like me to answer on a future episode? Contact me at askmiddlecath at gmail.com.